This is Jonko Podcast number 423 with Echo Charles and me, Jonko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. I was at an event, and people give me a lot of stuff at events, mm. or they mail it to me. Sure. And this particular one was given to me by somebody at an event. It was, it's an old Air Force manual from 1954. It's called Psychological Aspects of Survival. And people give me a lot of books, like I said, and I like to look through them see what I can learn, see what I can share. This is this manual, there's a couple very positive things about this manual. Number one, it was published, like I said, in 1954. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind a little bit when it comes to being politically correct. I understand. Some aspects of it maybe not co- quite dialed into today's standards. Uh, it also doesn't pull any punches. It's written in a real direct way. Mm-hmm. Since it's written, so it's published in 1954, so it's probably written like 1952, 1953, and it's based on interviews with soldiers, airmen, sailors, marines that were evaders, in other words, running from the enemy, prisoners of war that were captured by the enemy, and also escapees, so people that escaped. And it's obviously from World War II in Korea when both of those had just kind of ended. And it quotes them, it's, it's interesting, it quotes them like anonymously through the whole book, it's just filled with all these quotes from, from people that were interviewed. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, value in each one of the different chapters, but I just wanna cho- focus t- tonight on one section in particular. It's called Personality Requirements for Survival. And this is what's interesting. I think you'll see that these personal personality requirements that are <clears throat> requirements for survival, mm. I think you're gonna see that they're kind of requirements for success in any realm of life, okay. not just evading and escaping and surviving in a prisoner of war scenario. Mm-hmm. So here we go. This thing kicks off. This is this is the thing that I read where I was like, mm, I kind of got to share this with some people. So it says, personality requirements of survival. Your survival may depend more upon your personality than upon danger, the enemy, the weather, the terrain, the nature of the in-flight emergency. So did you hear what I just said? Yes, sir. Doesn't matter like, oh yeah, the weather might be bad, the enemy might be bad, what the terrain might be bad, all those things. Survival depends more on your personality. Whether you will panic from fear or use it as a spur to greater sharpness. Whether you will be overcome by fatigue, Echo Charles, <laughs> or be able to take the necessary action to survive. Whether you will be able to evade and escape or will be captured by the enemy, even whether or not you will have frostbitten feet, all are more dependent upon you than upon the situation. So this is just coming out of the gate with the extreme ownership of extreme ownership, right? Listen, frostbite, sure, it might be cold. The cold doesn't matter as much as you matter. Mm-hmm. You ever heard someone say, my f- my feet got frostbitten? No. Never heard anyone say that? Well, I suppose you're not allowed to, in Hawaii. There's not no. a lot of people whose feet are getting frostbitten. So when someone says, oh, my feet got frostbitten or my hand got cut, it never had anything to do with them. Oh, right. Right? It's like they, their feet detached from them. Their feet were over there getting frostbitten. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I that makes sense. I don't know. It seems in a like way, it, it does. Okay, but in a way, if you if you just 
explore that a little bit. It's like, yeah. well, I my feet are attached to me, and what was I doing? So it goes into it here a little bit. Mm. This fact has been demonstrated in several important scientific studies. For example, an army medical research team found that men who were treated for frostbite in Korean combat tended to be passive, negativistic, hypochondriacal individuals. Right? That's kind of rough. Yeah. yeah, that's a rough one. That's why I said this thing might, might not be the most politically correct because it's just calling fools out. It seems like a what? Oh, you got frostbit, passive, negativist, negativistic, and hypochondrical. What is that? Some victim blaming right there? What? Seems like <laughs> oh, it, I see where you're going. <laughs> I see where your mind's at. That's what it feels like. Look, frostbit. It's not like you can just resist the frostbite. Well, hold though, on. Okay, unless let's, you can. I don't know. Okay. Maybe. Well, let's let's think about it here. Mm-hmm. For, this is this actually just replies specifically to you. It says this is not hard to understand. Okay. The passive individual lacks aggressiveness, takes things as they are without trying to do anything about them and is lacking in drive and ambition. Okay. Now you see where I'm going yes, with this, don't you? Fully, see, yeah. this is, you're right. This is victim blaming. The yeah. victim is freaking to blame here. Such a man will engage in less muscular activity, won't pay much attention to carrying extra footwear, and won't do much to prevent cold injury. The negativistic individual will either ignore or do just the opposite of what others suggest. If his personal equipment officer suggests that he wear woolen socks and carry a few extra pair, he's likely to wear silk socks and take no extra socks on his missions. If his aircraft commander suggests that he massage his feet or jump up and down to keep the blood flowing, he will probably ignore him. The hypochondriac personality enjoys sympathy from others. Injury has always gotten sympathy for him before. He wants sympathy from others so badly that he consciously or unconsciously permits himself to become frostbitten. Boom. Echo Charles. You're correct. Yeah, what I see why you liked it. I mean, you can see why (laughs) you can see why this book was put straight to the top of the queue. see why you were all over this book but it actually now that you just said that and even the look you gave i'm like okay i i know that there's a big picture you know answer to this and yeah that's what that's really what it is there's a bigger picture going on right it's not like his cells were a aggra- um, passive hypochondriac cells mm-hmm. or, or skin you know his skin was being a hypochondriac and oh this is you know i and then allowed themselves to get frostbite when they easily could have prevented it it's not that it's not that there's a bigger picture yeah. going on. And listen, the, the thing that always, are there things that are truly out of, beyond your control? Yes, there are. Yeah. There, I guarantee that the most aggressive, positive-minded, happy, uh, uh, conscientious person has gotten frostbitten before. I mean, yeah. it happens. Yeah. But to say that when you look at, let's say, 100 people and in the Korean War that got frostbitten and you start interviewing them and you start, look, some of them, like I said, some of them were probably great dudes, but some of them, or there's probably a majority, you start seeing a pattern, you start seeing 70% that were like, they've been to sick call a lot. Yeah. They, you see what I'm saying? Fully, man. And And you you get around people like this. This is what you gotta watch out for, is you can be around people like this. Yeah, fully. Yeah, they, and so, yeah, like how you sort out the numbers. It's a real, it's a generalization, right? Where it's like, okay, let's go into the numbers now, and, and you know, so, so you you get a hundred people, and mm-hmm. you, see, I don't know, whatever the numbers are. Let's say thirty, or let's say half of them got frostbit and half didn't. 
You'd be like, wait a second, what's up with this 50% who straight up didn't? What's up with them? <laughs> Not only what's up with like, hey, okay, you guys got frostbite, we're in the snow. I understand. Mm-hmm. Like, got frostbite, cold, and, you know, whatever. We all have equipment and all this stuff, so why did you get frostbite? Mm-hmm. And then, but what's up with the guys who didn't? Yep. Then, so it's like, okay, let's make this really, like, in-depth comparison. Let's yep. go. Let's go deep. Yeah, that's the big thing. When you start running the numbers, yeah. because look, there's some people that, let's say, let's say this dude sweats a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when he gets in, he's going on his ruck hump into position on an ambush, his feet are like sweaty. Yeah. He, and now they don't have time to change because they're trying to lay up. And he, that guy might get frostbitten. He might be the toughest bastard in the world, but he gets frostbitten. Whereas some other guy that doesn't sweat a lot genetically, mm-hmm. his feet didn't get wet on the way in. So you see what I'm saying? So yeah. there's going to be the, but when you start taking a hundred, a hundred guys or even better yet, a thousand guys yeah. and you start looking at beyond the outliers, yep. you start seeing a little pattern here. Yeah, like little commonalities. And a there. little commonality. You know, it's the same thing with SEAL training. There's a there's a small number of people, like they had bad luck and they broke their leg or whatever. But if you start reviewing all those personalities, at some point they go, ah, mm-hmm. this isn't worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Jason Gardner, right, was the one who said, said it where, we're kind of hashing out like, oh, what makes a guy like make it through and, mm-hmm. and maybe quit? And, you know, like, what's the difference? What makes it? And then we, I think if I'm re- remembering correctly, where it's like, hey, if you're a stud, if you've been a stud athletically your whole life mm-hmm. and then you all of a sudden just start losing, like yep. sharp drop off, just start losing stuff, bro, that can take a bigger toll on you than if you've been kind of losing here and there yep. all your life. And then <laughs> Jason Gardner's like, yeah, I've been losing since day one or whatever. <laughs> There's no factor. <laughs> There's no factor. <laughs> I was like, bang. But it kind of starts to answer the question in that same way where it's like, hey, this guy's a, this guy literally is physically more capable, even like endurance wise, is physically more capable than all these guys. And why is he like literally like quitting? Mm. Even his failed runtime or whatever is way better than a lot of these other guys' fails runtime. They didn't quit. Like, what's up with this guy? Then you kind of go deeper and you're like, oh, that's why. And, and just so you know, that's not a guarantee. Like right, there's right, plenty of guys that are total studs that crush it and they're like, yes. oh, and they fail stuff. And they're like, oh, well, no problem. And they push on. But, yeah. but. Occasionally you get a guy that's a super stud. Dude, I mean, I had a guy that was freaking Olympic uh, gymnastics alternate. Mm. How much more of a stud can you get? He, he freaking quit. I had D1 wrestlers, like it happens. Yeah. But yeah, th- those cases are cases of people that have been winning and all of a sudden they get forced to lose and they freak out. Mm-hmm. This is this is more like habitual. This This line right here of the passive individual lacks aggressiveness, takes things as they are without trying to do anything about them. That's a whole personality trait. Yeah. Accepting things the way they are in the world. Mm-hmm. You can't there's you can't do that. Now listen, if you get some situation where you have to accept the reality of the situation, and they're gonna talk about that as well. But accepting Things as they are without trying to do anything about them. That's a personality trait that'll get you frostbitten and worse (laughs) All right going on here this discussion has two purposes the first is to list and describe the qualities in a man Which help or hurt his chances of survival the second purpose is to help you size up yourself If you know what you can expect from yourself under tough conditions, you can do a better job of handling yourself You can be on the alert for trouble and you can come to rely on your strengths. Survival depends a great deal on your knowing and facing the situation. This is such a good line. 
but you are part of the situation take a tea party for instance your mother or sister would have a fine time you would be miserable the party is the same what makes the difference you you can make the situation better or worse by the way you manage yourself therefore know yourself dude I've been in so many situations in my life where I got to see other people being miserable mm. and me being like oh that's gotta suck <laughs> hey you're in a bad situation a classic example is just I mean look we can talk about the cold you can talk about hell week you can talk about all those things but just being on a ship in 110 degree heat and I mean this isn't during an operation this is just like normal living on a ship yeah. dude it sucks but you can be you can either be miserable about that or you can just like rock and roll that's what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> okay now he starts getting into these qualities in a man important to survival. One, he can make up his mind. Making up your mind doesn't mean jumping without looking, but it does mean that you make it up. Decide on a plan, then act on it. This is where if you can take this from 1954 and then add in a little leadership strategy and tactics, get to the iterative decision-making process, where you make small decisions very rapidly and then make adjustments, that is such a great tool for pe- for humans. If you, look, it's hard to tell someone, hey, you need to make a decision right now. Either go left or go right, and you don't know. You're looking at which way, should I go left, should I go right? Is the, Where's the terrain gonna be? Like, all those things. But if you say, hey, listen, you gotta at least start walking one direction or the other. You gotta do it now to figure out, to learn more. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll go start walking left, I guess. Mm-hmm. I can't really see much further, but once I start walking left, I'll be able to see more, and maybe I can figure out that that terrain's pretty good, or it's really bad, mm-hmm. in which case I can go back the other way. So make being able to make up your mind, utilizing the iterative decision-making process from Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual, such a powerful tool for human beings, especially if you're a person that's a little bit indecisive. Because people get, there are people that are, I don't want to say naturally indecisive because it may have been the way that they're raised, but between nature and nurture, their personality has developed into an indecisive personality. So they read that and say, I can't make up my mind. Learn to use the iterative decision-making process where you make a small decision, the smallest decision you can possibly make in this situation, and then start moving and then assess and see what, if it's a good decision or not, and then make adjustments as needed. No factor. But being able to make up your mind, the number one quality that they list here. And like I said, then they got all these these anonymous quotes in here from probably a bunch of damn war heroes. Quote, the trouble was that I had no real plan. It was a hit or miss approach. I took a sudden direction and hoped I got out. I was inadequate to survive and had no preparation whatsoever, no plan whatsoever. My advice for anyone to survive is to make a long-range plan. Another guy, this man couldn't make up his mind. I had a good chance to look at the entire, I had a good chance to look the entire area over and I became quite confused as to where I wanted to land. This is, you can imagine, this is a guy in a parachute. I changed my mind several times and only succeeded in making my descent all the faster by attempting to change direction several times. And then they've got this. This man made up his mind and acted. I decided it was time for drastic action as I didn't want that chopper to leave without me. So I gave up trying to remain undercover and made my way to a nearby clearing. I gathered some twigs and dry grass and made a small fire. When it was burning good, I put some wet grass on it to make it smoke. 
So there you go. Being decisive, making a decision, you, you gotta do that. Another quality, he can improvise. Ingenuity, or the kind of resourcefulness which enables one to improvise and do the best he can with whatever's available, occurs quite often in survival stories. This man didn't have a smoke flare, but he figured out something just as good with what he had. I spread out my parachute, burned a hole in the middle, and used it to send up a smoke signal. This man also had to use what was available to improvise a signal. I discovered a large stack of old rice and straw on the side of a large green field. The construction of an air signal came to my mind. That night when I went to relieve myself, I made my way to the area and devised a signal out of the straw. It read 6PW in letters about 14 feet high. The success of this attempt raised all of our hopes. We figured at least it might protect us from a fighter attack. So these are people that's taking action. The other thing about taking action is it, it, it reduces your fear. Mm. It reduces your fear. There's nothing that makes fear worse than hesitation and waiting and pondering yeah. the, what you're about to go through. Yeah. You can't do that. Mm. Like you're sitting there looking at the squat rack, yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. and you know you gotta do 20 reps. Mm-hmm. All the time you wait, it just gets worse. Yeah. Doesn't get better. <clears throat> uh, another quality. He can live with himself. We all know people who, like children, can't stand being alone, have to be entertained, always want something new. Other people can take care of themselves, make a good thing out of a bad one, keep their own and others' spirits up. (laughs) One of the guys says, speaking of taking action, not knowing what to do, I decided to kill all the bugs. There were a lot of spiders, the big ones that do not hurt a human, so I killed the flies and gave them to the spiders to eat. I never killed the spiders and kept busy. Just keep him busy. Here's another valuable quality. He can rock with the punch. We all know people who can't change themselves no matter how much their stubbornness costs. Others can change themselves to fit the situation. Here are some men who showed flexibility. So in survival and in life, what have we hit so far? You gotta be able to live for yourself, live by yourself, live with yourself. You, d- you definitely have to be able to improvise. You, you gotta be able to make up your mind. And then you gotta be able to like have flexibility. You can't be, and it's weird how it points out here, people's stubbornness, they'll stay with the same plan no matter what it costs them. People make that mistake all the time. They'd rather lose than change their mind. Mm-hmm. One guy says, I noticed that my left ankle was set at an unnatural angle and I realized that it was broken. I decided I would have to attempt a landing on my knees. Well, little thing. Another quality. He can keep cool, calm, and collected. This doesn't even, they don't even have an explanation here. It just says, he can keep cool, calm, and collected. The old joke, I was calm, but he was collected, applies here. Anybody can panic, but some people go to pieces more easily than others. If these men had remembered the signs of panic, they might have remained calm. And he's got some quotes here. A co-pilot, seeing his pilot killed, 
put his arms over his eyes and paid no attention to the controls. What a freaking nightmare that is. You see your pilot get killed, so you just cover your face up. That's disturbing. A navigator sat staring blankly at his logbook throughout a violent flak barrage and retained no memory of the event. You ever seen anyone get that freaked out before? No, not that I can remember. Yeah. I've seen people like freeze up. We got to kind of shake them and be like, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, we need to go. That mm. type of thing. I've seen that before. I did see it, but obviously not on that level. I'm remembering something now. What was it? When I was a little kid, um, <clears throat> one of my friends were bombing this hill on our bikes. Mm. And my What friend, kind of bike did you have? Oh, was it a BMX time, type BMX bike? BMX bike. Okay. Yeah. It was a freestyle bike. You know, mm-hmm. like they're like oh, yeah. all one color. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Like a color, color, not black or silver. It's like a color. Mm-hmm. With the, the wheels are white. Yeah. Um, Did it have pegs and everything? Yeah, Did you yeah. do freestyle? Yeah, a little bit. Did you have the handlebars that could continuously spin around? No. Okay. No. That's like a one level up. Yeah, yeah. All right. But we're in the game. Freestyle. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Check. So we'd bomb this hill. And <clears throat> one of my friends wasn't very good on a bike. He was just like, I don't know, white belt bike rider, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. So he bombed the hill. And I don't know, you know, I never felt this. Actually, I felt this on a skateboard, but when you go down a hill and you hit a certain speed, mm-hmm. like it just, you just lose faculty. Like it gets scary. <laughs> <laughs> I never had this on a bike, but on a skateboard, I, I totally have where you just like panic. But so he, that happened to him. Uh-huh. But I didn't realize it was happening to him because we were bombing the hill all day, like all day, every, like we always go to this hill. So he was bombing the hill and we're watching him. And I remember thinking, oh, he's not very strong on a bike. So this will be funny. At the bottom of the hill was just, it goes into like a um, like a field mm-hmm. with no grass. So it's just a field with dirt, mm-hmm. right? But it's a good place to run it out. Like coming down the hill, you could run it out or no? It, yeah, you could run it out. Okay. Yes, fully. And you'd get hurt, but not injured. It's like that kind. It's not like a brick wall mm-hmm. or like more cement. You know, it's like dirt. So, <laughs> so I guess given the circumstance, pretty solid, solid little uh, backdrop there. So he's going and I'm like, oh, wow, he's just, he's not even slowing down. Like that's pretty, because it's like, a, it's essentially a long, 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 long hill with a bl- cul-de-sac at the end. Uh-huh. It was pre like constructed, like they were going to build houses there. So a lot of like dirt and whatever. So this guy's flying down the hill and I'm thinking, oh, he's. How, how old are you guys? Like seven, eight? I'm yeah, thinking. yeah. Yep, Sorry. exactly. And he's going and then. You know, you hit the cul-de-sac, you got to slow down a little bit at a certain time, and it comes natural if you're used to doing it. So, yeah, I'm not even thinking this. He's And you hit the you hit the brakes a little bit, but you can't just slam on the brakes because you're going so fast. So you got to hit the brakes good. You got to lean one side, and you got to hit the cul-de-sac. The, you got to go around the mm-hmm. cul-de-sac like a perfect kind of timing thing now, now that I'm thinking back on it. Anyway, this guy's going, he's not hitting the brakes at all. I'm like, bro, this guy's bombing still. I was like, he's not even slowing down, which is crazy. Because, you know, I've never seen him come down this hill before. (laughs) Instead of hitting the brakes, I just see him throw his arms up in the air and start doing this. (laughs) And he just bombs like right into that dirt place and crashes real bad. Yeah, you got hurt. But that was what it was. He he hit that velocity and just completely panicked. He took his, actually, he took his hands off the the handlebars, everything. Just Just in the air, flailing his hands like all crazy. I was like, (laughs) it looked... uh, it looked really, really funny for sure. <laughs> like it was a How real bad funny. Did he get hurt, he didn't, hurt not, not injured. Bad. Yeah, yeah, little kids, you know, in the dirt. But um, 
but it was more interesting. I'll never forget it, too. It was real interesting how that was the decision. Well, that's what it seemed like. It mm-hmm. seemed like he made the decision to just flail his hands up in the air. <laughs> but he didn't, did he? No, dude. He it, lost his, his body mind, just, bro. Yeah, He man. lost his mind. He's the same as the nav- navigator staring blankly at his logbook. Yeah. Or the other co-pilot just covering up his eyes and not looking at the controls. Yeah. Like, that's crazy way to behave. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that's a crazy way to behave. I'm trying to think if I've ever done anything like that where I just was like, just lost my mind. <laughs> but I can't think of yeah. any time. Oh, check. Um, it says this: other men actually think better under rough conditions. The trick here may be that these men keep their job, keep their minds on the job to be done and off themselves. It's a real good thing to think about. You got a job to do, do it. Yeah. Don't think about yourself and you're going to die and all that stuff. You don't, don't think about that. Otherwise, you'd be throwing your hands up in the air just flailing them. Gives a good example here. These two men were in the same spot. The first man got rattled. I tried to use the canopy release to get rid of the canopy, but it, it did not work. I then opened my chest strap and pushed the harness off my shoulders so I could get at the May West toggles. My chute had started sinking and I needed support. The chute began to pull me under now even with the vest inflated and I had to kick my feet to remain afloat. My left leg became entangled in the shroud line. I don't believe I could have stayed afloat more than another minute or so. So this is a guy coming down into the water under a parachute canopy and freaking out. And then it says, this man kept calm and could remember his survival training. While floating down, I remembered hearing about some people having trouble getting out of the harness in the water. So I opened up my leg strap while at about 1,500 feet up. And about 500 feet up, I opened the chest strap. Then as my feet hit the water, I raised my arms and slid out of the harness. So I'm assuming these guys are pilots. Like in the SEAL teams, we get taught to do that. And I guess anyone that's airborne is going to get taught, hey, if you're approaching water, you kind of you kind of loosen these straps, you undo this strap. So that way, when you hit the water, you don't have to be in this big tangled mess of a parachute. Oh. But imagine you're a pilot, you probably had three briefings, you know, and yeah. he just heard one of his buddies or something like, dude, I almost drowned when I hit the water. Mm-hmm. So this guy, just being calm, cool, and collected, is just rolling down like, oh, you know what? I remember some guys had trouble in the water. I'm just going to loosen my leg straps, loosen my chest strap, get ready to take this thing off, and just slides out of the harness when he gets down. Yeah. Totally different attitudes. Yeah, it seems like that'd be hard to do if you don't have that, like, in your personality kind of mm-hmm. a thing. Because, like, how do you remember that under a, like, situation where you're, up, like, could die kind mm. of a thing or when you're at, you know, well, that you, what you want to do is you want to be able to detach. That's what you want to be able to do. You want to be able to, did I tell you about that whole escalator thing? Yeah. Well, I was with Jamie Cochran. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny because it was kind of like one of those scenarios. Woman falls down on the escalator. The escalator's like bringing her up the thing. People are yelling and like, what do we, uh, you know, it's like panic and n- no one knows what to do to stop the escalator. Mm-hmm. Or they don't know what to do. That that's not even a mo- that's not even a thought that they're having. Because I'm right. thinking like, oh, there's, how can we stop this thing? I literally had the conversation with myself like, you know what? There's got to be a way to stop an escalator because this seems a little bit dangerous. I like looked around a little bit and said, oh, there's a button over there. It says emergency stop on it. Yeah. And I walked over, pressed it, and the thing stopped. Bro, that that was so, and when you told me that, that was such a good like just real world example. It, it was, and I was with Jamie, yeah. and we got you know we walk up and I was like, hey, you know how I talk about detachment a lot? She goes, yeah, yeah and it's you know, that's it, you know, yeah. because there's 
15 people around the bottom, like we're a bunch of people. There's 15 people waiting to go up the escalator. Yeah. This woman falls. Now there's two, three people on the escalator that are panicking. And that's my instinct because, and, and it's important to remember that that's because you said it's natural. Some of it's natural, yes, but that is the way that I have trained myself yeah. and have been trained is that when something's going down, take a step back. Even like back in the day, like there's a fight, yeah. right? A lot of people's instinct, you, me, and, and Carrie, we're in a bar and like someone's, someone's gets in your face and starts talking shit to you. Mm-hmm. Some people's instinct is like, I'm gonna get right up next to you and I'm gonna get, hey, who the hell are you talking to, right? That's mm-hmm. a lot of people's instinct. Yeah. My instinct is like, take a step back. Wait, how many friends do they have? Where's the exits? What are the bouncers? Like, it's not to get into it. It's actually to step out of it because I'm gonna have a much better advantage yeah. when that happens. Yeah, yeah. The, you. That escalator story—it's like if you have it, if you have it like a tree. Like if this whole issue, this whole scenario un- unfolding is a mm-hmm. tree. When you look at a tree, what do you see? You see first the leaves, probably. Then you kind of look down some stems, some branches, mm-hmm. the trunk, and you kind of don't really see the roots, even though you kind of know they're there, right? Where you—if you see the person going on the escalator, right? A, an old lady, cool. She falls. Uh oh! Now we have a problem. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the the attached, not detached? The attached problem is the lady f- who fell. That's the problem. We got to get her up, mm-hmm. right? That's the attached. Like yep, that's yep. the obvious Go problem. Go right to her. Go right Do to I her. run up there and help her? Stand her up. Stand her up. Because because think about it logically on a certain level, the escalator moving. That's not a problem. I mean, it's a problem now, but that's not the 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 um how should I say that that surface level problem mm-hmm. problem because that escalator has been working for decades probably so that's no issue that's not the issue here today yeah. the issue is the lady who fell down yeah. in your brain but you have to if you look at the whole problem it's a combo of things just like the escalator has been going up or in this case for like decades <laughs> ladies have been falling down for decades too so like but when you put them together <laughs> see what i'm saying we got yeah. a situation yeah so yeah if you can detach and then recognize the hierarchy of okay this is going to be the simplest so- solution that'll solve the most problems boom you can see it more yeah. so it's like you're looking at the tree and being like hey this tree like the leaves are brown like that's the issue don't paint the leaves mm-hmm. green You'd think, oh, yeah, just paint the leaves. Oh, they're not brown anymore, right? No, no, no. Water the tree or something. Go for the roots. See what I'm saying? Solves all the problems. Yeah, yeah. It's like when there's a leak in the house, right? Yeah. And people are grabbing it, trying to stop the leak, putting a rag around the leak. It's like, no, shut off the water. Yeah. Usually there's a water that you can shut off almost immediately, but you can even run out to the street and shut the water off. Yeah. But people don't think that way. They start grabbing rags and they start holding the pipe and they start trying to get that thing shut down. And you do that yeah. because you're not detached. If you take a step back and like, oh, there's water coming. I'm not gonna be able to stop the water coming out of this pipe with a rag. It's not yeah. happening. But I can easily go to this, follow this valve and just shut it off and now we're good. Yeah. That's but you have to be able to, to detach to do that. And you yeah. can't get panicked. And to counter what you said about the natural ability. Yes, there is some natural ability, but I know for a fact that you can train people to do it because I have trained hundreds of people, yeah. young SEALs, young SEAL leaders to like take a step back. Dude, hey, dude, the problem, the, you're not gonna solve the problem going in there. You need to take a step back. Yeah. And, and it's a real thing. Yo, oh, yes, sir. So I, I actually agree with you probably more than you realize because when I, I mean, I was talking about that one pilot, right? So. Um, 
or the parachute guy. Sorry, mm-hmm. I was talking about the part when you when you're not like naturally like that as far as your personality. Yeah. So when you're trained like that, it seems like when you compare someone who's untrained and trained, it seems so impressive. But mm-hmm. when you're trained, it's kind of like no, no, no. That's just how. Mm-hmm. So a big part. So you know how nature versus nurture and yeah. like all this stuff or whatever. So from what I understand, like the nature part of it is like such a massive thing and it's overwhelmingly like powerful. The nature part of it, right? Mm-hmm. But I've always thought like, hmm, or maybe that's just because most people are not trained in everything. So every time they point out how nature is revealing itself in all these different mm-hmm. situations, it's like, well, how how much training does a normal person have? How much training do we all have, and in how many things? Like even like you, who's probably highly trained in probably more things than I know of any other person, but what, five things in life? <laughs> like five things, you know? So it's like, all right, most people are trained in almost zero things, almost. <laughs> as far as actually trained, see what I'm saying? Jack. If you went by the belt level, how many people are purple belts in more than one thing in yeah, life? Yeah, actually, even one thing in life. You probably have a, a lot of people who aren't even purple belts in one well, thing in no, life. I think a lot of people are purple belts in one thing in life. It's usually their job, mm-hmm. right? You're an accountant. Like you, there's people that are black belts in Excel spreadsheets. There's mm-hmm. people that are you. You're a black belt in what video editing program thing, right? Like legit. Like you sure. spent more than ten thousand hours doing yeah. that, right? Yeah. And so everyone has. I would say most people have some skill, whether they're a plumber, an electrician, mm-hmm. a lawyer, like you. You have a skill that you develop. So almost, yeah. I would actually counter that and say most people have at least one thing okay. yeah. that they're an expert in. Okay, perfect. Unfortunately, in many cases, it's a random thing. Like, let's face it, how, what good is video in the, in the natural world? <laughs> yeah, sure. Video in editing wild? has no value yeah. whatsoever. Well, you know, in our world today. <laughs> in, know, our, in our world today has sure. value, but. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but I mean, but, it literally, unless there's a computer there. Yeah. Every other scenario doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's, very, it's very specific for sure. But um, but yes, okay, cool. Let's say everyone has one purple belt skill or whatever. So, but that's still the point, though. Sure, cool. They got one. Even if they got two, even you with ten, right? You know how many skills there are to have. There's a lot. Yeah. So, if you compare, okay, let's take a random skill. Let's say, okay, let's say weight training, right? For let's say muscle okay. development. Mm-hmm. If you get a person who's trained. Same exact genetics, trained and untrained. Probably it's like night and day. They're completely different per- people. Mm-hmm. Same genetics, trained, untrained, right? So you can take a guy with good genetics, don't untrained, not one single lifting session mm-hmm. ever. And then you take a guy kind of junk genetics, right? Just his personality is not like that all the stuff. And you train him, probably he's going to look way bigger and stronger than the guy with mm-hmm. the genetics. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, bro. I'm hold t- on, hold on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Are you sure about that? I well, you know, this is my bro science hypothesis at okay, this time. I'm but gonna, I'm pretty sure here. Here's no, the listen, thing. you take a there's there's people that have freaking insane genetics okay. for the way they aesthetically look and the the strength that they have. Mm-hmm. There's people that are so strong and they barely ever train. And you're just telling me right now, you take a person that has junk genetics mm-hmm. and they can. A, look better, and B, be stronger than someone that has awesome genetics? Okay, so... Are you sure about that? (laughs) I'm going to give you an opportunity to revoke your statement. All right, so let me refine the statement then. How about that? So I'm I'm saying, okay, you take the extremes, the massive, massive extremes. Okay, okay, Okay. I get it. And and yeah, man, of course. And and that's probably lends to why really like the facts, how they shake out is like, hey, nature is such a big part. It's true. Mm -hmm. But in the like... In the real, in the general way of looking at things, in the masses, you know, 
we are untrained. That's what. That's my point. So you get a guy who's like you know slightly I don't know however by however a factor of however many like genetically gifted versus a guy who's not and you just train the hell out of one guy, ultimate just pursuing ultimate results in training, bro he's gonna outperform that guy is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So you can have a personality that lends to this untrained versus a guy who doesn't you know and then train him, yeah. he'll do better. You see what I'm saying? There's a lot of it takes a lot even even like you take like jujitsu. Right, mm-hmm. you you know there's some people that are naturally good at jujitsu, yeah. and they you take that person. I guess jujitsu is a bad example because if you don't know anything about jujitsu, you're getting beat. And so and I, that's the point right there. And now take anything; you're gonna be hard pressed to find a skill unless you go like but, way but, but at the extreme. Strength. Okay, so yes. Okay, if you want to talk about skill, yes, but genetic, like strength or flexibility. Right, there's people that are naturally flexible. Dude, we could, Franklin, remember, yeah, I Franklin, remember his name, dude. His name. Franklin, yeah, 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 that Franklin. dude was naturally flexible to the insane level. Yeah. Insane level, like he, mm-hmm. he wasn't a guy that grew up doing jujitsu. he wasn't a guy that grew up doing gymnastics or uh, yoga or anything like that. Yeah. He was just born as flexible as a human could be. Yeah. And if he would have started doing, like he could be any yoga person at, freaking downward dog or whatever he would just he was just perfect yeah. at it yeah like yeah, everything absolutely. he would do is just so flexible I agree yeah, yeah so you take a guy like that or you take uh let's see who's one of our really super strong natural freaking dudes naturally strong yeah just a naturally strong like black belt guy or just a dude in general uh, one of our one of our guys we train with naturally strong. just naturally strong Okay, freaking I mean, Sloan. he's trained though, but yeah, yeah, he's trained. He's naturally strong. Actually, he's strong you know, as hell. You know, he's naturally. Well, then again, he's trained to his Tim. To remember Tim Ford, like he had yeah, a yeah. weird, oddball natural strength. He had a wiry strength. Yeah, like you couldn't. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Sloan is the strongest guy that I could remember right now. Damn, check that out. Yeah. So, so you have that his as strong as he is naturally, and then you take someone that's. Like we're not gonna call names here, but there's people that are naturally weak, right? <laughs> sure. And you could probably train that person, honestly, forever, and they won't be able to deadlift as much as like Sloan. Yeah, and I don't even well, know Sloan deadlifts, but I'm sure he does. Right, but, but Sloan trains and he, he's hey, probably even if, like high even if he doesn't deadlift, he yeah. still can deadlift. Yeah, so more than a someone that's weak. So I agree with so you. So it's with a this. bad it's a bad thing to talk it's a bad thing to talk about strength and flexibility those are there's a huge genetic component yeah. to those things yeah now listen can a person that's not very flexible get more flexible absolutely can a person that's not very strong get very strong yes absolutely yeah, but it doesn't compare with things that are skills yeah. pure skills jujitsu is yeah. a pretty fairly pure skill uh playing guitar is a pretty fairly pure skill shooting basketball is a pretty it's a skill that you can learn a lot of and again some people will have you know, some people play guitar, they have a natural ability to hear tones, they can move their fingers maybe a little bit more, uh, they have a little more dexterity in their fingers. So so they, they have like a 10% chance uh, uh, head start. Yeah, and I- I'm And there's gr- some people that get a 
negative 10% head start, right? Fully. And yeah, and even more than that. The thing is, we're totally agreeing. The, the, only, the caveat that I'm making when you go to the extreme, so genetically, like physically, like genetically mm-hmm. or whatever, it's easy to go to the extremes because you take like Franklin, for example. Mm-hmm. Franklin's probably, I don't know, I don't know everyone in the world or who's ever <laughs> lived, but I would estimate of all the people I've ever seen, including on video, by the way, he's probably top 1% yeah. of flexible people. Yeah. And by one, the way, he doesn't even care about it. It's not like he... If he wanted to, he could be making videos himself of like, here Just I am, flexible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pulling my leg over behind my left ear and now itching my you know neck yeah. or whatever. Exactly right. So as far as what I'm saying, if I'm trying to do some freaking hypothesis right now, mm-hmm. I'm excluding him. Mm-hmm. And then I'm excluding the guy who can't even scratch his back. I'm excluding them. I'm talking about people. And then on top of it, I'm saying someone who is trained, trained, like that's what they do, that they're mm-hmm. trained, purple belt or higher level versus someone who literally zero hours trained, literally zero. Mm-hmm. That, and I'm comparing them to. So you can, sure, one guy can have a head start or whatever, but the mm-hmm. guy trained is going to usually, generally speaking, the more extreme you go, the more yeah, of a discrepancy yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that the ultimate point is that when you, when you take nature versus nurture, sure, I, I get it. But I think it's slightly important to take take into account that people, we, we are untrained in most things. So yeah. now we're left with mostly nature. Yeah. That's why they discount nurture as much and, it and, could be. And a good thing to remember about what you're saying that's very positive is we are mostly untrained. You're right. So most people are going to have whatever reaction nature gave them to Stressful situations, exactly which right. very well could be throw up your hands, cover your eyes, freaking flail around and do nothing. Yes, you can train out of that. Yes, I have trained many, many, many people out of that behavior. Yeah. I've had people come back. We've gotten so many like after actions reports of people being in extremely stressful situations and they're able to relax, look around, make a call. They're able to detach. Like this is a thing that is real. Mm. And Look, probably this written this man was written in 1952. I doubt they had any inkling to train people to detach. They naturally train people because you're going to get put. You're if you're a pilot, you're getting in stressful situations just as a pilot trying to land this thing and trying to take off and mm-hmm. trying to do this stuff, whatever the instruments. And they're probably blindfolding you sometimes. It's like go go through the protocol again. So you're you're getting some level of it and you're yeah. learning it. But it's hard when you don't really identify what you're doing yeah. that you're like oh. What I need is take a breath, take a step back, let me relax. Like that, you can train. And if you train it, you'll get better at it. And it will help you. Um, Continuing on, it says, the man who stays calm helps his whole crew stay calm. A quote, Joe was the only one of us that was really calm, I think. He spoke slowly, carefully, repeating the latitude and longitude. I forced myself to concentrate on those all-important numbers. I repeated them back to him. That's right, Tom, he said, and there was no excitement in his voice whatsoever. I think it was his calmness that gave me the courage to go back into the radio room. Maybe not, but it damn well helped. Calm is contagious. Panic and freaking out will spread to the rest of your team. A lot of men report that when they recognize the signs of panic, they could stop it, calm themselves. It can be done if you catch it soon enough. This man was scared and realized it. So this is exactly what we're talking about. And this is what, again, I've been lucky enough to be able to train people to do. Like, oh, you're starting to panic. I call this red flags, right? I call this red flags. I wrote about it in the freaking kids books, write about it in leadership strategy and tactics. 
You gotta recognize when things are going sideways. In Warrior Kid, I wrote about you're losing your temper, you gotta recognize what are these red flags that are that are stepping up and popping up in your head. Here's a quote, I was scared and realized it. So I tried to calm myself down and think it out, think things out. My thoughts, however, all came to the same conclusion. No one would track me down to help me. With this in mind, I decided it would only be a few minutes before I was sighted, so hoping I could still avoid capture, I selected a hiding place in some brush with my gun drawn and ready. I waited. So this guy was starting to panic. He's like, all right, calm down. Think through it. Yep, I'm probably not gonna get, I'm probably not gonna get rescued anytime soon. I need to make a move. This man, stopped and thought things out. My first instinct upon landing was to get out of my chute and run for cover. I did not think of the chute, just left it and took off running toward the first trees I saw that were about 70 yards to my right. Arriving there, I hid in a ditch to get my bearings and think things out. So, detaching, taking a step back, relax, look around, these things are infinitely beneficial for survival yes but for life in general another quality he hopes for the best but prepares for the worst we all know people who could go who go right along as though nothing bad could ever happen and they're flattened when something bad does happen and there's another type who goes around wearing an iron kettle on his head for fear of a meteor will fall on him. The first type doesn't face the facts. The second lives in constant and paralyzing fear of the facts. Neither one is smart. <laughs> so you don't want to be hyper. You don't want to be hyper vigilant where you're freaked out all the time. But you do need to prepare. Fast forward a little bit. The man who keeps his hope and confidence up will see escape chances that the hopeless man would miss. I grew more confident because the sun was going down and it was growing dark. I had not heard any rifle fire for about 20 minutes and I knew the enemy realized I had a machine gun and would use it. I didn't believe they would risk moving fast enough to give their positions away to me and this would make it easier for me to outdistance them. Little confidence goes a long way. Faith in yourself and hope for escape will lead you to make preparations. This man evaded successfully for five months. I had prepared my own escape kit in addition to the one issued. I sewed straps on my GI shoes and placed them in it on a small cable and fastened them to my chute. None of the other crew members survived. Lack of faith prevents you from making prep- preparations. Is an interesting one. Lack of faith prevents you from making prep- preparations. God can only help those who try to help themselves. So if you don't think, oh, I'm going to die anyways, mm-hmm. and it kind of it gives some examples of that attitude, like I'm going to die anyways. The next thing you know, you survive mm-hmm. and you didn't prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Freaking bad move. Another quality: he can hold his horses. We all know men who are like children. They have to do it right now. Others can wait a bit until they have a sure chance. They can put first things first, business before pleasure. They can wait their turn or even give up the turn altogether. We call a man like this grown up. He's not only patient, he weighs what he'll get now against what he'll get by waiting. Being able to wait. 
having patience. Here are some men who had control of themselves. Patience, that is the prime factor. You can get in a hurry. If you do, you are lost. I would sit for two or three days watching some patrols. Another quote, as the boats came closer, I quit swimming and just let my head remain above the water in order to attract no attention. The boats were about 2,000 feet from me when it grew so dark I lost sight of them. These are people out hunting for them at night. I awoke from the sound from a sound sleep and looked into the eyes of a man about six feet away. I kept still. Finally, the man looked off and walked away. <laughs> That's a cool, calm dude right there. And then it gives some example of some people who couldn't keep their patience. I tried patiently to operate the radio in every way I'd been shown. Growing more angry and disappointed at its failure, I tore the aerial off, threw the cord away, beat the battery on the rocks, then threw the pieces all over the hillside. I was sure disappointed. That's just insanity, right? Mm -hmm. Again, you wouldn't think that that could actually happen, but here's a war veteran admitting, like, there's no reason to tell this story. Not like it makes you look cool. Mm -hmm. You say, oh, I got so freaking mad, I destroyed my radio, which is my only chance of salvation. Mm -hmm. Another guy, I became very impatient. I had planned to wait until night to travel, but I just couldn't wait. I left the ditch about noon and walked for about two hours until I was caught. (laughs) Damn. How's your patience level? Mine? Yeah. Good. Very good, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of patience. Jiu-Jitsu taught me a lot of patience. Yeah. I I think patience is kind of like temper, where even even before I was enlightened about anger issues and uh-huh. that, that thing, I told you I read the book, <laughs> Mind Games, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So even before that, I thought temper, I like... I for real thought it was like that powerful thing that I think most like primitive thoughts like (laughs) I thought it was that because I couldn't step back and understand oh wait a second you know and then it was explained to me and it just clicked really quick. I would have liked to have seen you lose your temper. I very rarely and in fact sometimes I would like fake it just to be like yeah you know. How old were you when you last like faked losing your temper or actually lost your temper? Probably in college or something (laughs) you know drinking and act like I'm like. I'll kick his ass. Yeah, yeah, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't really feel like this. You know, I could easily just go back to my room. But yeah. it was like that. So I never had a thing. But patience to me is kind of the same thing mm. where, like, what does it look like to lose your patience? Very similar to losing your temper. Just in a, It's a, just a different flavor. Mm. So I've always, long way of saying I've always been pretty patient. And now that I understand it more and have for a while, I believe yeah. I'm very patient. Now. That doesn't mean I want you testing it all the time and like all this stuff the way you do. But nonetheless, generally, generally speaking, I'm all right. Check. All right. Next quality. He can take it and dish it out. Few of us know how much we can really take, but expecting things to be tough or unpleasant helps any of us to be prepared to meet the worst when, it, when that can happen. When the dentist says, now this is going to hurt a little bit. He is using sound psychology because he is preparing you so that you will brace yourself for the pain. Here are some men who could take it. Quote, an important thing in survival is to accept, expect and accept unpleasant things. This was true of the food we had to eat in prison camp, lamb's eyes floating in soup, hair in food. Another quote. I took off again. Most of my travel was done by crawling because my ankle began to swell where I hit it on the tail during bailout. It quickly grew worse until I could not stand on it, so I crawled. 
Another quote. We moved into the middle of the forest approximately three miles from the barn. There we dug in. We remained there for four days without moving, without food or water. Got to be ready to take some pain. And you got to be prepared to take pain. Another quality. He can, quote, figure out the other man. Some men step on everybody's toes, while others manage to keep practically everybody happy. The principal reason that this second group of men is so successful is that they are always aware of the feelings and moods of other people. This ability to feel with and size up other people and predict what they are going to do is important in survival. Isn't that an interesting thing to bring up? Actually understanding other human beings will help you in a survival situation and it will damn sure help you in life. It's it that is an interesting thing to you know when you're talking to people about survival like how does that subject come up mm. you know I wonder if some you know Fred just had he just knew how to talk to everybody you know what I mean like yeah. that came up it's such an important thing that it bubbled to the surface because you wouldn't think hey when you were surviving how what were you thinking about the understanding and empathy for other people and other people's perspectives that's not a question that you'd be asking right. I can understand you're asking about food. I can understand you're asking about being tough. I can understand that. This is a very interesting subject to have come up Mm. and have it play such an important role. Mm. Here's a man who figured out what those who were looking for him would probably do. Thinking there would be a good hiding place, I crawled into a haystack, but after due consideration, figured each haystack would be searched in this area, so crawled out and continued traveling. That's just like, like a little thing. Yeah. It's just a little thing. Yeah, so they're essentially analyzing like all these guys' actions, right? So it's like, okay, well, you did this, but like, what were you thinking there? You know, and then you're like, okay, that makes sense. And And then then what quality drove you to do that? Right, yeah. So when you, yeah, the deeper you look, the more, yeah, the more you you discover these qualities and all this Mm -hmm. stuff or whatever, just by the way they were thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, like, all right, why were you thinking that? Well, I've always been. I used to, I used to hike in the mountains. I used to thought, oh yeah, yeah. Even like, um. For some reason, that remember you were asking, I think it was Kirby Harrell, mm-hmm. the ball peen hammer guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, even that, you know, you paint this picture of like, yeah, what kind of what would I do, kind of real vaguely, you know, whatever. And you're like, how did you knock the how'd you knock the guys out? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, yeah, how would I knock the guy out? But I'm exploring all my knockout methods, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I've never once for one second thought knock somebody out with a ball peen hammer. <laughs> so, that came as a surprise. But for him, he was like, yeah, that's how. Yeah. You know, that's, how, that's how we're rolling. Ball peen hammer. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever see the movie No Country for Old Men? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. In that scene when he finds the the sight of like the drug bus gone bad bad yeah and he's looking around to he's like oh well where would I go if I had this money and he sees that tree <laughs> off and he's like yep yeah. I'd be looking for shade that's the kind of thing that they're talking about right yeah. now. you're gonna figure out what are people going to do and if you can figure out kind of what they're gonna do you can make a better prediction have a much better chance of survival mm-hmm. the other thing that's because you know survivors bias right yeah but in this case, it works. Because if you survived, then you're like, hey, here's what I did. Here's why I did it. And right. it actually makes sense. You're talking to the people that were able to get through whatever they went through. Yeah. And then you get to also talk to people that got captured. And they can tell you why they got captured. Yeah. Another quality. He knows when it pays to be a gentleman and when it doesn't. 
At some time or other, all of us have wanted to beat somebody up. <laughs> this is, I like stuff from 1954. At some time or another, all of us have wanted to beat somebody up. But since we were children, we've been taught that this is not the nice thing to do. It isn't nice under ordinary circumstances, but the survival situation is definitely not or- ordinary. To survive, you may have to turn loose all the meanness and fight you have in you and then add some to that. Here's a man who knew how to let it go. Quote, Captain W whipped out his little carbine bayonet and attaching it to his carbine, yelled that he was going after the bastard. Before we knew what was happening, the captain jumped out from behind his rock and began screaming in Korean and Russian. He was saying that he was a tiger or bear. He was letting out growls and roars like one. The mixture of Chinese and Korean soldiers began firing at him, but he kept going, growling and yelling like a maniac. The soldier was so scared and surprised that he just stood there with amazement and disbelief written all over his face. I saw the captain disembowel him with his bayonet and keep going. Enemy soldiers all over the area took to their heels. (laughs) Sometimes you gotta go get some, Captain W. Bringing it. On the other hand, this man froze. Quote, a Chinese soldier in a tan and green uniform was about 10 to 12 feet from me, crawling on his hands and feet, carrying a machine gun. It scared me so badly that I emptied the balance of the clip into him, killing him instantly. I just froze and kept pumping bullets into him until my gun was empty. Here's another one. Of course, you have to remember who your friends are and not turn on them, as this man almost did. Quote, I was sure a copter would be back to get us within an hour, so I sat back and waited. Joe wanted to go on, and a heated argument ensued. By now, our nerves and tempers were really shot, so it was very easy to have violent disputes over practically nothing. Over this air rescue deal, I came within an inch of pulling out my old 357 and shooting Joe. I was on the verge of complete collapse. That right there, isn't it, when, when, when things go sideways, dude, people start, people can fall apart. It's, it's funny, even on deployment, like, like look, we weren't getting captured and running from the enemy, but even on deployment, just like, even my first deployment to Iraq, my first deployment to Iraq was pretty, pretty chill, right? And there was people that kind of like lost their minds. Mm. And you'd think, man, like the stress level isn't that bad right now. Mm. It's kind of fun. We're having a good time. Yeah. We're doing what we train to do. So seeing, I mean, when people get into these kind of stressful situations, start threatening to kill your friend, your teammate. Mm. <laughs> Not good. No. Um, Fast forward a little bit. And as usual, behind it all, there must be the will to survive. Quote, five of us did not survive. The main reason they did not survive was because they had no will to survive. They didn't swim. They didn't make any movement. They just lay there and died. Check. He can be, here's another quality, he can be the little man who wasn't there. 
This is an interesting one. Some men stick out like a sore thumb, no matter where they are, while others, if they want to, will simply not be noticed. It would be a good idea to study some of the ways of these men to kept, kept from attracting attention. And here's the one. Uh, I made progress, quote, I made progress traveling merely by carrying a hoe or rake or another farm implement and walking along the main roads. I looked around and saw what people were doing and then I did what they were doing. This was how I got the idea of using a farm tool. This is why I kept clean shaven. I'm, I'm imagining that's World War II, like in France, shot down in France or something, just act like you're a French partisan. Hmm. Another one, quote, I finally decided it was clear enough to cross and made my way across the tracks and into a corn patch on the far side. I moved fast, but I did not run, as that would call attention to me as if I, if I were seen for a distance. Pretty good self-awareness. Mm. That's a good one, though, man. Like, knowing when not to run. Mm. <laughs> when there's shit going sideways, <laughs> and you can just, like, just kind of walk. Mm. That's a real good quality. Yeah. Especially if you're going to get in trouble for something. Yeah. Running's like the worst thing you could do. Yeah, yeah, like draws attention. Like you know, you ever? I don't know. Maybe when you're little, we used to do this where someone quiet. Is, everyone has dogs, right? And they're varying levels of behavior with these dogs. So your neighbor's dog, like sometimes they're kind of kind of rowdy dogs, you know. So they'll kind of come up to you or whatever. But if you f- like start running away from the dog, rather thing will chase you, mm-hmm. you know. But if you just act normal, or whatever, he'll sniff. He'll like try to. I don't. It seemed like he was trying to intimidate you, oh, you know, for sure. all the time. But if you like do a big commotion or whatever, mm-hmm. it'll like bark at you and chase you and stuff. Well, what's crazy is like bears. Yeah. There, you you. There's different ways to act with different bears, but if you stand up to them, like it it can make them back away and run away yeah. like a bear will murder you yeah but and it d- depends on the type of bear mm-hmm. but but so yeah with humans it's going to be the same thing like yeah. depending on how you act depending on if you, if you start to run people immediately notice that like oh this guy's yeah. done something wrong yeah something's up with it. whereas if you just walk out of there yeah like uh the movie heat yeah seen the movie heat yeah just walking know. out of that bank robbery if yeah. they were running they'd get noticed they yeah. barely got noticed yeah in the big robbery they barely got noticed, but if they're just walking out, walk out normal. Yeah. Goes a long way. Oh, yeah. This is the last quality that they cover. Um, he knows where his f- special fears and worries come from. All of us have had accidents, scares, and worries when we were children that still bother us. Under dangerous survival conditions, these may cause trouble. But if a man knows where they came from, he can do something to control them. A man who as a child was bitten by a dog may still feel fear when a strange dog comes running from behind. But if he knows where his fear came from, he knows enough not to start running or start kicking the dog. He knows that his fear makes no sense and he controls it. However, some things learned in childhood can prove useful to survival, as in this case, quote, remembering an old cops and robbers trick, I stuck my P1 helmet on the end of my dagger and eased it up over the edge of the foxhole at arm's length from my head. He fired another burst and put a hole through the top of that helmet. <laughs> so you gotta know where your fears come from and what's causing them and then be able to control them. 
And then it kind of wraps with this. What this means to you. You may now be thinking, I am stuck with the personality I have and there isn't much that I, survival training, or anything else can do to change it. You are right, but this is the same problem faced in any kind of training. Training always has to start from where you are. This is exactly what we were just talking about. Mm. Training always has to start from where you are. This This is basic in any training program. This way, this was the way it was when you started learning to be a pilot, a navigator, a gunner, a radio operator, or a flight engineer. The simulated survival situation will give you a chance to really size yourself up. You can take stock of yourself, find out what you have. Then you can find out how to use what you have to meet the emergency situations of survival. So this is where I think they take a little bit of a different view. Um, and I'll, I'll, we'll get into it, but take for instance the indecisive individual, the fellow who can't make up his mind. He can place himself in situations where he must make up his mind about choosing routes, making camp, getting food and water. Further, he can learn some methods and techniques for arriving at decisions. So, so they are saying it, good. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're an indecisive person, you can learn to make decisions. Mm-hmm. You can get better at it. You must realize that in a survival situation, you may be completely on your own. You will have to decide for yourself. By taking responsibility for expressing an opinion, even in a group, you can develop confidence in your ability to make decisions. If you lack ingenuity and resourcefulness and can't improvise, you can watch how your survival instructor and other members of your crew go about inventing useful articles and equipment from whatever they find. At first, you may have to imitate the things they improvise, but in this way, you will begin to get the idea. In this way, you will become you will come to see that it is possible to live off the land and be comfortable and expect yourself to be able to do it in a real emergency. I like the fact that he talks about just imitation as a way of learning. Mm. Like you just start imitating the way your instructors are acting. Yeah. Even if you're literally like there taking a stick and turning it into a shelter, right? You yeah. watch them do it and you do exactly what they did. Mm. Your mind opens up a little bit going to be beneficial for you. If you are a person with little personal resourcefulness who can't live with himself, you may moan and groan throughout your survival training about the lack of movies, baseball and football games, nightclubs and parties, radio and newspapers, but you too will learn that you can exist without these things. Watch how your instructor and other members of your crew go about enjoying themselves under the condition. As you gain a little skill and confidence, you may actually take satisfaction in being able to live with yourself. It's a weird expression. We don't say that expression, really. Basically, we would say being alone. Yeah. Have you ever watched the show Alone? Alone. There's a show Alone. Yeah. And you get dropped off in the woods Mm. with, you have like clothes, you have some basic survival gear, Mm. like 10 items like you can have a bow and arrow you can have a fire starter you can have a tarp so you get a selection of items yeah and then you go out and you get and once you're out there you're just by yourself in in the woods and they're they're usually up north like canada or something like this there's been some other but the good ones are up north yeah so you got to go hunt you got to gather berries you got to build a shelter you got to do all this stuff but a lot of the people go home 
because you quit and basically the person that stays out there the longest wins. Oh yeah. Okay. A lot of people, I don't want to throw a percentage on it, but a decent amount of people, they quit not because they're out of food, hmm. not because they're out of shelter, not because they can't build a fire. They quit because they get lonely. They basically miss their family. Huh. Now listen, is there some rationalization going on? Yes, there is, because they're also yeah. starving. It's yeah. basically the show, instead of being called alone, it could easily be called starving. Yeah. Because because everybody starves. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're starving. There's no, very few people are able to get a surplus of food and calories. It's just not gonna happen that quick. Mm. There's there's a guy, Jordan, that killed a moose. Mm. Freaking bow and arrow, that was legit. But then he, he built, um, like a place to store the moose mm. meat and wolverines came in and took yeah. like the fat away yeah, which is yeah. the part that you really need oh uh, yeah all the calories huh? yeah because you yeah. can get rabbit starvation you ever heard of that where mm. you're getting meat you're getting protein but no fat and you can still starve yeah yeah so he was entering that mode luckily he won yeah but there, there was a show naked and afraid you mm. ever heard of that, that i remember yeah, yeah just like, like a, you were going naked into the but you had someone with you right so, so some of them there's a bunch oh, okay. of them now okay. but uh, if i'm not mistaken you there's two people yes and then you end up meeting up after mm. a few days or something like that yeah so maybe the premise slightly different because of the alone actually if they're calling it alone yeah, that's yeah. the main the main thing but yeah, no one, I don't remember anyone quitting because they were lonely. Yeah, well, if you have one other sucks. person, you're not alone. No. But, mm. and I, you look, some of it is definitely rationalization. Yeah, fully. Where people are like, well, I just miss my family. And well, I shouldn't say it so, but some people are like, hey, I really miss my family. I just want to go home. Yeah. Meanwhile, I haven't eaten in nine days yeah, type thing. And which, it sucks and I'm freezing. Yeah, it kind of exacerbates the loneliness, right? Where it's like, it's yeah. just more misery overall. And then the missing people, the homesickness or whatever, is just ele- elevated yeah. because of all the other discomfort. And, and all that being said, there's people that are like, oh, I just love it here so much. There's yeah. people that yeah, have been well. extracted because... They, they do a medical check on you once a week, and if you've lost too much weight, your yeah. organs are shutting down, they just, you, you That's lose. Bad. Yeah, but there's sense. been people that have gone through that where they're they're saying, you know, oh, I just love it out here, and I got my friend, the the the, the tree bark. Yeah. This is my friend, the tree bark, and they're talking to the tree bark. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit wild, but they're yeah. not lonely. So this idea that there's some people that don't like being alone is true. Yeah. Because you can see it on that show for sure. Some people, they do not like being alone. Yeah. So well, I think that's a natural thing, right? Because in prison, they put you in like solitary. I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's more to it than that. Yeah, but sure. there's definitely some people that don't mind being alone. Very oh, yeah, much. big time. Like you, you ever been to the movies by yourself? The, like even as a kid? Uh, this, like we'd this? have to go back in the day because like you don't go to movies anymore. Right, right. I mean, yeah, it would people, have to be back. At the, back but back. I don't think I've ever gone to a movie alone. I don't know. Yeah, so I have, but kind of later in my movie watching in theaters uh, mm. career. But it, before <laughs> that, it was like it seemed weird. It seemed awkward. Like what? But and then I'm thinking logically. Wait, I don't talk during the movie. I hope mm-hmm. not. Anyway, some people do whatever, but I don't, mm-hmm. or I don't like to. So like, what's the big deal? It just seems weird. Isn't it weird now too? Because you have your phone with you, so you're actually never technically alone in a way. No, it's, yeah, it's way Because if you're waiting in line at the DMV, you're basically not alone because you got your phone, you're texting yeah. people. And the, it used yeah. to be like, you're straight up alone, you just sit there and think. 
Yeah, and if you try that now, it's like, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure everybody's different, but if you try that now, like if you turn off your phone or let's say you forgot your phone or whatever, it's kind of refreshing on a conscious, Very, like yeah. conscious level. At first you're like, oh my gosh, I feel kind of weird. Like, oh, I don't have my phone. I feel, But then after like maybe even like three minutes, mm-hmm. it's, it's like kind of nice. I like to do that when I'm in some, let's say I'm waiting for someone somewhere. I just well, I'll just stand there. Because <laughs> <laughs> even sit down. Yeah, no, because because so many. Or I'll sit down, but I'll sit down and just like look. Because so many people now, if you, instead of waiting, they they almost feel uncomfortable standing around. Mm-hmm. So you just, hey, I'll just pull up my phone and just look at my phone. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, fully. So uh, instead of doing that, it's just stand there. Yeah. Just. Just stand there and think about so stuff. So, like, as opposed to pull out your phone. As opposed to pull out your phone. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. In fact, to make it a hat, like, I would, I would not advise, but I would recommend just as a thing to to do that because mm-hmm. I do do that too. One, the thing that sparked it was kind of it was kind of ego in a way where I was at the dentist uh-huh. and you know you wait, you're in the waiting room, right? Yep. All the and same. everyone's looking at your phone. Yeah, and I looked up and everyone's doing the exact in the same exact position mm-hmm. too. That's the thing, and they all had the same look on their face. And you thought to yourself, "I'm better than that." Yeah, you know, <laughs> it was kind of like I didn't think that consciously. So, wait, but so what did you do instead? Did you sat sat? Yeah, so I was like, "Hey, let me," because I found myself. I was in the same situation. I was looking at my phone too, but you know, it was one of those moments of clarity where I look up and be like wait a second we're all like kind of doing the. it kind of felt like something was controlling us you know kind of a <laughs> thing kind you know, of felt yeah. that way no like something gee. on purpose you know <laughs> yeah, on that day. <laughs> bro hello <laughs> bro, i felt it so it's like you know what let me do this and it hit me so like significantly where i put it away and bro i just started noticing all kinds of things you know just like even the picture on the wall i was like wait bro why did you know like this doesn't mean all the all this stuff I was, I was noticing so i was like okay cool so kind of after that Every time I have to wait, I do. I mean, of course, I'll get on my phone sometimes when it's like, okay, this, it's not mm-hmm. it's not that serious today mm-hmm. kind of a thing. But it will be on my mind. I'll be like, okay, now am I getting on my phone right now or am I doing the whole like observing thing? You know, there's just so much that we miss, I think. It's crazy that you have an unlimited supply of entertainment in your pocket. Like yeah. an unlimited supply of brain stimulation yeah. in your pocket. You can do everything from watch a jujitsu video to watch a movie to scroll through freaking Instagram and look at whatever your algorithm's putting in front of you. Yeah. God. Bro, it goes so deep. That right there goes so deep because it's good and bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause you can like read a book, you can like look up like inform like critical information, mm-hmm. like or you can look at dumb information, but you're still looking something up. Yeah. Or you can just sit there and just mindlessly be entertained. Like you can do anything on there. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, hey, you don't have to be bored or alone ever. Yeah, like literally ever. Yeah, I bet the next generation of prisoners of war that are good get captured and don't, they're gonna have a little wake up call even going to boot camp like if you're going Mm -hmm. to boot camp right now imagine you're a 18 year old kid you've had a phone in your pocket since you were 13 years old you've had been addicted to this thing and then it's gone yeah yeah i like that man when i go to places where there's no reception you know i'll be out in the bush and it's just like so nice you just freaking shut that terrible thing down being alone without like people around or whatever i mean obviously you know everyone's different and i'm sure there's a balance to it but i feel like there's something like regenerative regenerative 
mm. about that. About being around with no people with around? people, yeah. And if you're in nature, like that show Alone, being in nature and like that kind of stuff where it's like there's still stuff going into your brain. Like mm. in solitary, for example, like if you're in prison, just in a room, there's mm. like nothing. That's nothing. That's for real aloneness. You know, you're not alone with the world. Mm. You're like alone in a box, you know, kind of a thing. That's way different. But if you're like always with someone, you got to be really comfortable with that person. If you're with someone, just them being there already has some of your attention. Just yeah. a human being being there. Like the example, you know, you ever had someone stay? I mean, I know you're a little bit different, but there has to be, this has to register at least a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, when someone like wants to come over to your house mm-hmm. or sleep over, or <laughs> freaking stay over. Oh, I'm just going to be a few days. You know, mm-hmm. can I stay at your house or whatever, like that thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll stay out of your hair. You know, like, oh, just act like I'm not even here. Right. Kind of a thing. If you're These like, are hey, I'm lies. <laughs> well, they're impossible. They're yeah. borderline impossible. Yeah. Like, yeah. how can I pretend you're not there? You're a human being. I can't mm-hmm. pretend like. Okay, I'm gonna pretend you're not here. Like if if you're the only one here, everyone, all of my family is gone. I'm gonna walk by you like you're, or walk by this area like you're not here. Impossible. It's not possible. Yeah. You know. So your presence, a human being's presence, is always <laughs> noticeable. Always. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So it takes some of your attention, no matter what. So the absence of a human being is like it's essentially night and day as far as the mindset, state of mind. See what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my, uh, my wife had a, a woman come by to like help pick out some furniture or something. Yeah. Hell yeah. And, and I happened to be there and she's like, oh, well, it, she's like trying to make conversation. <laughs> Who the furniture lady? <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to talk to me too. Like I get dragged into it a little bit mm-hmm. and she goes, um, she goes, she goes, do you guys like it? She goes like, do you guys like entertaining cuz? And she's like, cuz this would be really nice. And I go, no, I wish no one would ever come over to my house ever. And Bruh. she looked at me like I was the biggest psycho ever, you know? I think <laughs> I can just, the funny part of that is not that you said it, but just the experience that she probably had with you being the one saying that. Yes, that is very funny. I, but I think that's pretty common. I think, yeah. especially for guys where it's like, bruh, I don't know. Then again, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but bro, I'm with you, man. It's like, if you're, look, if you're in the mood to have a little get together, that's one thing. But if you're not in that mood, mm-hmm. bro, don't even, bro, leave it at the door. Freaking don't come in. Don't come over. <laughs> you want to come stay? You know, like how friends come in. Uh, this has changed. I was not like this when mm-hmm. I was young, whatever. You know what? Friends come into town. Hey, I'm coming into town. You know, I'd be like, bro. <laughs> Don't even ask. Don't, Brad, stay. There's a hotel and, you know, two miles away at the very fucking closest, you know. Brad, don't, what's with staying? Don't stay at the, don't stay at the house. Please, please, please. It's funny, too, because in the military, I mean, I, you're living in barracks. You're living with roommates. You're living with freaking bunk mates. Like, it's, it's compressed. Bro, but then your you. house is a different thing. Yeah. And well, frick, Brad, my whole life, I, I've literally had a roommate since before <laughs> I was born, by the way. Oh, yeah. You so, had, a, you had a, a roommate in the womb. In the womb, the whole mate. deal. So, Brad, even, and then growing up, we always shared room. Dorms, same thing. Boom. And then uh, all the way really until about, what, 2003, four, five? No, I've always like lived with somebody. I mean, mm-hmm. I lived alone for probably like a year and a half, two years mm-hmm. in my whole life. When was that? Like before. I got before I was with my current wife. <laughs> you seem so like you were that. really stoked living alone. Oh, yeah, big time. 
Yeah, big time. Because just because yeah, Jade got it. married. That's mm-hmm. why and did all this stuff. So I was like, all right, well, I can't live with him them anymore because yeah. I was living with them, you know. So I'm <laughs> down for the, or I was anyway down for whatever. But that's different than visitors, you know, like <laughs> visitors, bro. You gotta have a designated time where I'm in the mood for that kind of stuff. Otherwise, bro, don't. don't uh. But I'm, I mean, that's an extreme way of putting it. You yeah. know, obviously, I have a lot of flexibility for sure. So but I'd say I'm with you. You're okay being alone. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> big time. Check. All right, going back to the book here. If you lack flexibility, you'll make many mistakes in your survival training because of this lack. But from these very mistakes, you can learn. Don't expect all the answers from your instructor. Re examine the problem, try and figure out what you did wrong and why. Then revise your thinking in the light of this re examination. You will find that there is more than one solution to most problems in survival. Again, it's what they're saying. What they're saying is, what we're saying is, a flexibility. Some people are naturally inflexible. You're gonna get, you can get better at it. You're not be, gonna be as good as this guy over here who just has like a totally open mind, mm. but you can definitely get better at it. If you make mistakes because of panic or overexcitement, you can learn to recognize the signs of approaching panic and overexcitement. If you can do this, you will discover oftentimes that easy does it, or techniques for calming down can also be developed. If you're a naturally pessimistic person, you'll probably be heard loud and long during the trek or you will be a gloomy Gus. Either of these reactions will make it rough on you as well as the rest of your crew. They will start steering away from you. If this starts happening, try to figure out a reason for it. A pessimistic attitude is usually based on a feeling that everything is all bad. If you take an objective look, you'll find that no particular time is either all bad or all good. These two allnesses, allness attitudes are childish and really the basis for pessimism and unrealistic optimism, both perhaps equally dangerous to survival. And what's cool is this, obviously this book is about a survival course. And this is the way, this is the way you get better in the world. You have to go out there and you have to experience the world and I've been talking about this a lot lately. Everything is training. Mm-hmm. Everything that you do in life is training. Taking your kids to school is training. It's training for you, it's training for them. Going to work today, the project that you're running, everything that you're doing is training. If you frame it in your mind that, hey, how efficient was I when my when the teacher started talking about my kid and was saying they were, did something bad and I started getting mad, it's training. Mm. You're being trained. Everything that you're doing is training if you frame it right the, the right way and you pay attention to it. Mm. Patience and tolerance for discomfort are essential parts of preparation for survival. If you, know, if you know how to wait, you may learn in the intelligence phases of the training what your impatience can cost you. When you have to wait, you will be miserable and will wanna turn your feelings against the training program, the instructor, or the Air Force. At this point, it'd be a good time for you to start learning how to occupy yourself by learning new skills, gaining new knowledge, or just making living conditions more comfortable and pleasant. If you look carefully, you can find a hundred ways patience pays off. If you're habitually impatient, you can learn to be more patient in survival situation. A navigator who has a long history of being very, very impatient individual found himself in a situation which required extreme patience. He realized that the situation required patience and that he tended to be very impatient. Thus, he was able to meet the demands to survive. It didn't really go into the discomfort part. Oh, here it is. As for learning to put up with discomfort, you can learn many ways of making things easier and more comfortable for yourself. You'll also find that it's much easier to put up with a little discomfort temporarily 
than to experience the suffering and greater discomfort from a failure to endure temporary discomfort. You should learn to recognize the signs of the approach of your breaking point and develop skills for dealing with yourself in the situation. And doing things that make you uncomfortable, you'll get more used to it. Mm. I'm in the middle of a deaf reset right now, oh, yeah. and I'm doing 100 burpees a day, yeah. like r- regardless of what else, what else I'm doing. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's just like, the first kind of few days, I was kind of like excited. Well, we did my baby. Hell yeah. And then I got into the like, dude, this just sucks. <laughs> and what's cool now is I'm just like, yep. I mean, it's almost like, yep, just doing it. Yeah. I can, I've, I've improved. I'm pretty good at discomfort. Yeah. And just doing 100 burpees a day, I'm, I've gotten better. I've noticed in 20 days of just being like, yep, just shutting off my brain and just doing the burpees. Almost yeah. like I'm always doing the burpees as if. It's an out-of-body experience. My body's doing the burpees and my mind isn't. Yeah, that's where I'm yeah. at right now. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, it, But I will say, when I do that, like, it, it's it's more comfortable mentally, but I'm not in the game, so I'm not pushing myself as hard. I'm kind of just going through the motions, which is mm-hmm. not a bad thing. Yeah, sometimes. To be able to just shut true. off your mind. When I'm like, oh, dude, I want to see how fast I can get him today or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then it's, I got to think about it. I got to get into it. Right. But just to be able to shut off your mind and just suffer through. Yeah. Freaking... It's a good thing. It's a good yeah. thing to have. You oh, will yeah. get better at it. When do you, I mean, so generally speaking, and I'm sure there's a threshold here where, you know, you're good at, at enduring discomfort mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Do you, is it, is your mind the kind where you recognize the discomfort and you, and you ignore it or you choose to like, mate, like don't give it a vote kind of a thing? Mm-hmm. Or, or are you for real like, oh, discomfort doesn't exist to a certain degree. I think it might be a little bit of everything. Yeah, so okay, so let's go with the reason I asked this for this because, okay, 100 burpees, right? That's a journey, like mm-hmm. that's not like, I mean, you know, it takes a, a certain kind of like physical conditioning to be like 100 burpees is literally easy for mm-hmm. me, you know? Um, so that's a journey. 10 burpees, I think for most of us, like on a certain, that are used to a certain level of fitness, 10 burpees is a no factor. Mm-hmm. Like you can literally do that when you're like injured, like that, yep. you know, depends on the injury, obviously. But 10 burpees is not a journey is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. 100 burpees is a journey. Mm-hmm. At what number-ish does it become uncomfortable for you? Where you're like, this is this is the discomfort part. It's, it really does depend on how hard you're going. Yeah, so let's say, let's say a, a general run-of-the-mill burpees. You're not testing yourself, but you're not slacking, mm-hmm. like actively slacking. 30. After about 30, huh? Yeah, after 30, you start, um, you know, now you're breathing hard. Your legs are feeling it a little bit. And again, it depends on like, well, how high are you really jumping and how fast are you going? But yeah, yeah. 30. Yeah. And so let's say, and especially when you're used to, if you've done as many burpees as you, or even even half the amount that you've, you know the protocol, you know the journey, right? So like when you say, how high are you jumping? You know when you're like really getting after it and jumping high, and you know when you're like basically ticking the boxes where it's like, hey, I got off the ground, yep. period, yep. you know? So, you know, and then you also know when, hey, this is my normal burpee. This is my normal burpee, you know, right at the level of acceptability, whatever, right? You kind of know that, right? So that that being said, generally speaking, I'm just trying to extract info here from my pers- for our personal. So after about 30, and what's your protocol? You do for the 100, you do 40, 30, 20, 10. Okay, so and I kind of like get a little breath in between. Yeah, yeah, fully. So the so 
at about what the first that first go at 30 you're like here's where the discomfort starts on this journey mm, yeah, yeah 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 and then you only have 10 more and you get a little breather mm. and then you do uh, what's interesting is the second like because not like you're taking a long rest but you're resting for like 20 30 seconds or 15 yeah. seconds something like that wait wait so you do 40 so when you're saying the discomfort comes it's during that first 40 yep. at number 30 yep. okay, okay, okay but then you only have 10 more to do like for that right for that sesh. but then the next one it's like the discomfort's gonna come at 20 yeah. and you only have 10 more and then you do 10 and you only have 10 more and then yeah. you do 10 so that, that's weird it's a good little way to break it up mine is different mm. than yours what do you do where i do i'll just i'll go 20 20 20 and then I just break it up as is, however I feel at uh-huh. that point. But the weird thing is my discomfort doesn't cut. Like I get fatigued. I feel the fatigue. But the discomfort where it's like, okay. oh, here's where the pain starts is at about 60 of the total. So yeah, I but you're t- taking a break after 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if I did 20, 20, 20, I might not ever feel any discomfort. Yeah, that's why. That's why it's so funny. <laughs> that's why it's interesting where that's, it's like. We call that the comfort zone, my friend. And that's no, exactly no, where whatever, you're at. Bro, whatever. No, doesn't it only matter the uh, the end time, mm, right? However you no, break it up. You want to get to feel uncomfortable so you can be more accustomed to it, which is what this entire book is about. You're not sitting there inside the, why don't you just do one every half an hour? Well, you got to get it within 10 minutes, right? I mean, that's kind of the paper or the penciled in goal there. You don't have to do it. But so if you, so then again, I guess if there's that little other goal, and this is just methods of kind of approaching this burpee scenario Mm -hmm. where you want to get them under 10 minutes, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's either hundred burpees or 10 minutes of burpees, whichever comes first, you want to get under 10 minutes. But if you know you can get it under 10 minutes, now comes the secondary goal where it's like, okay, how much under 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. right? Doesn't matter as much, but it's a little something, Mm -hmm. right? That's when the protocol comes in. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all right, what's the best method to get under 10 minutes? Yeah, there's also a chance that just doing them slower could be faster. Yeah, you know what I think though? Cause, because I did that thing with Pete and um, Jason Kalipa mm-hmm. where we're whoever could get 100 reps of bench mm-hmm. the fastest. Mm-hmm. And Pete did the all out deal mm-hmm. where as many as you can, every, every set rest as much as you need to. Mm-hmm. Now I thought that was a bad move because when Jason did something along those lines, he failed. Once mm-hmm. you go to failure, it puts your energy like at this weird level. So I'm thinking, no, I'm going to get the perfect fucking split, you know, the f- mm-hmm. perfect thing. And I lost. Like I and I didn't do well at all. Pete beat us by a lot with his protocol just all out sprint. Just all out. Yeah, so I think if you're going for time, I think, I don't know, it's my freaking hypothesis right now. Burpees, you just do go the same thing, go all out because you get so many of them done. Yeah. Like all at once. That's true. Yeah, and then if you if you're gassing, it's then you can do the twos and threes and fives and you know and freaking just kind of scrape up the last few and by that time that time is just like freaking hasn't gone nowhere eight minutes six minutes and you'll be training your discomfort which is a good thing which i recommend uh next one if you're insensitive to the point of view of others you will quickly learn in a crew survival situation that other people have feelings and ideas of their own you also need to learn the value of sizing up and predicting what the enemy is apt to do so man Human nature, got to know it. If the going gets rough during training, this is a good time to practice some aggressive action in meeting and overcoming obstacles. Obstacles, Whether it's heat or cold, thirst or hunger, loneliness or confusion, do something about it. As for unobtrusiveness, even the bull in the china shop can learn specific ways for keeping from being noticed. The important thing is to recognize the importance of being able to keep from being noticed. 
some childhood fears such as those of steep places the dark strange foods water may return during survival training now that you are more mature and more adequate you can now deal with these fears better once there was a reason for these fears now there isn't you can take care of yourself your chance of overcoming these fears is good if you try and then it closes out saying or close out this section which will close out the book for us today Use your survival training to size yourself up under stress. Man, that's a good one. It's a good one to kind of check and see where you're at. Mm -hmm. Learn the need for changing behavior to meet the emergency situations of survival and learn how to use your strengths and control your weaknesses to meet the various emergencies of survival. And I think that's a good plan, not just for survival, but for life. Because we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? We've all got them. And we can utilize our strengths, and we should. And we can improve our weaknesses, our weaknesses, and we should. You can only improve your weaknesses if you're humble enough to admit them. So, be humble. Take ownership. Do something about what's happening around you. And be the type of person that survives in a survival environment, but also be the type of person that wins in life. That's what we got for today from the U.S. Air Force, 1954. Check. Uh, speaking of survival, wait, what did you what did you think off the top of your head that mm. was like inappropriate? Given he was old school, there's other parts which we didn't get to today. Mm. That nothing, nothing. It's not so much inappropriate, but I guess. The way that the whole thing that we kicked off, yeah. when you said it was like, what'd you say? It was victim blaming? Yeah. That, right? Yeah. That's like politically incorrect. Right, to right. say, hey, the reason that you lost, like if you if your son lost a wrestling tournament, yeah. instead of being like, hey, you did your best, right. and you just, you just didn't have it today. Yeah. Or the other, you know, that coach really trained his kids better than your coach did. Like make, make, if you're like, hey, you lost because you need to train harder. Yeah. Or you broke, you know what I mean? Yeah, actually, they they went a little bit hard harder now that you th- I'm thinking about they it because they were talking the paint, about dude. freaking frostbite. Yeah, where that's like, come on, let's face it, that's not obvious. Like, if you lost a wrestling tournament, that's easy to be like, well, I didn't train hard enough. Where it's like, okay, now it's like, okay, how reasonable? Mm. You know, are you going to be about this whole wrestling kind of a thing? But so it's easy to to connect the dots between your lack of preparation and your lack of you know outcome mm. or whatever. But frostbite, mm-hmm. that's a good example. That yeah. they picked, they chose that for a reason. That makes sense. At least I'm assuming they did, because everyone, a lot of people would kind of shrug their shoulders and go, eh, "Well, you know, it's frostbite." And you know, this this the, the same things come up when it comes to extreme ownership. Yeah. I would say, on average, people think that they actually have ownership of like 60 percent of what's going on in their world, mm. and they probably have control of 96 percent of what's going on in their world. Mm. And there's 4% of stuff that just is totally jacked up. It's freaking diseases. It's car accidents. It's like there's absolutely things that you don't have control over. And when that happens, you you take ownership of how you respond to it. But we have so much more control than we think we do. And if your mindset is non-aggressive, lackadaisical, a victim mentality, they didn't use the term victim mentality, which you hear that a lot these days. And, but they're saying the same thing. I'm a victim. Like what's that line? There's a line in here that they use that it's, 
It's the passive individual lacks aggressiveness, takes things as they are without trying to do anything about them. That's like, I'm a victim to the world. The world is happening to me. I'm not happening to the world. Yeah. That's not, that's, I guess that's what I was talking about when I talked about this thing being not quite politically correct. Yeah. It's speaking the truth. And look, I, I, I'm, we could try and dive into the whole, like what political correctness is and all that stuff. Yeah. To me, those things wouldn't be politically correct according to right now yeah but they're totally accurate and 100 percent correct <laughs> yeah you're right and and they actually did say that 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 part of um the, what do you call it allness you know nothing's all good all yeah, bad yeah, right yeah. that in but that concept of like it's a little of both so even like most situations where we might where we might obviously see ourselves as the victim of a certain like event mm-hmm. right when you're the, just like how you're saying, hey, we have way more control over these things yeah. than you think. All you there's a lot of things you could point out right off the bat that mm-hmm. could have either been done or just a mindset or something. Something could have do, been done to reduce that, yep. to reduce the victimization. Yep. You know, and even if you go as a whole, like even like when you say car accidents, yes, there is a certain percentage of car accidents is like, bro, I yeah. was literally doing all the right things. You get all of them. Yep. Yeah. But if you took all the car accidents that happened in a in a given year mm-hmm. and you analyzed each all of the events, you'd be like, "Oh, that guy was racing. That guy was drunk. That guy you just and you eliminated all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might. It could very well be like ninety percent. It could be. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But it would stand to reason that it would be a significant amount of reduction. And and let's say you get t-boned, mm. right? Is it not a good idea as you're approaching an intersection with a green light to like at least cover the brakes a little bit, yeah. not go through and maybe even like look both directions as you're approaching it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, well, yeah. look, I'm not saying that this couldn't happen to me today on my drive home where yeah. I'm going through green light, of course. Yeah. Like green light, I'm going, boom, get T-boned. Yeah. But to just say, well, there's nothing you can do about that. Right. As opposed to teaching your kids, hey, when you're going, it's green light, yeah, but you still check both ways. Wouldn't that be a good thing to teach your kids? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hey, look both ways. Yeah, Wouldn't it be a good thing to teach your kids? Oh, yeah, you know, you're responsible for your feet. Yeah. And you need to carry extra socks. Teach your soldiers that. Like, hey, this is on you. Yeah. As opposed to, well, my boss didn't tell me exactly what gear to bring. It's like, no. Yeah. So, again, what's the percentage? What did I say? 96%? Yeah. Man, you have so much control of your life so much more than you think you do. That's like when people have, you know, the boss made me do this. Really? What kind of relationship do you have with your boss? Yeah. Because my boss has always listened to what I had to say, like in a big way, Yeah. to the point where I kind of always got what I wanted Yeah. when it mattered. Yeah. You know, it was something stupid. I don't care. Oh, yes, sir. We'll fill out that paperwork. I got it. Like, who cares? Did I want to fill out paperwork? No. But did I get it done? Yep. No problem. Yeah. But don't, but, but to just surrender ownership it's the wrong answer. And it is true when you start looking at these scenarios and like we said, take a thousand people and you you look at who ended up getting captured. Mm. Who who? Who ended up getting captured? It was the people that were lackadaisical, that didn't have the aggressiveness, that were hypochondrical. That's like, oh, you always think you're sick. Mm. That's just like it's an attitude. And look, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor if you don't feel good, but just check yourself. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's true, man. And this is this is that's actually a very good uh, good manual because it's like when you're in a junk situation. This is a super broad term, obviously, mm-hmm. but if, when you're in a, in a shitty situation, 
there's a massive difference. Almost night and day. It's pretty much black and white. It's night and day versus the person who looked for every single opportunity to pursue to get out of that situation. Every single one. Yeah. Always 100% of the time on the lookout for an opportunity to get out of the bad situation versus the guy who, uh, what, accepted it, you know, their fate or whatever the, the term is versus yep. the person who did it. Yep. Night and day. Yep. Do you know how much it relieves stress in life if, like, like I'll take me for example. Something bad happens to me, I, I, I'm like, okay, well, here's, I'm, I, I'm, here's how I'm getting out of it. Here's what I'm gonna do, here's what I'm gonna move from this. Like, that's, and some people don't have that attitude. Right. Something bad happens and it's a beat down and there's no escaping it. Hmm. I hardly ever feel that way about anything. Hmm. You know, this is coming, I, I, I think if my freaking airplane has an engine failure at altitude, I'm gonna figure out a way to like free fall and hit a pool with a cover on it, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> a pool. Yeah. Right on. I'm gonna, pool. We're gonna figure this out. I understand. So, but if, if you have that attitude, it's like, oh, well, you know, bad stuff will happen, but it's not gonna be that bad and we'll figure out a way out of it. Yeah. And let's go. Yeah. Whereas if your attitude is like, oh, the whole world is conspiring against me, that's a rough way to go through life. Yeah. It's a rough way as opposed to like, yeah, you know what? That's going to be bad and we'll sort it out. Yeah. There's very little. It's such a much better attitude to have. And it makes you so much more open minded about what's going on. And life becomes so much easier and better when you're not. When you, when you look at things with a positive outlook of like, okay, we've got an opportunity here. And the, the way they put it in the book is, wh- uh, uh, what makes the difference in the situation that you're facing is that you're in it. Yeah. You're in it. You can make the situation better or you can make the situation worse by the way you manage yourself, period. Yeah. It's so weird though because you can't convince, it's very difficult to convince people of that. It's very, it's very difficult for people to see in this other perspective, hmm. you know, it's very difficult for people to see that when you have someone that's going through a tough relationship, you have someone that's having a problem with business, you have somebody, whatever they're going through, it's very hard to bring them around and be like, okay, look, the reason you're breaking up with this person is because you don't belong together. There's going to go meet someone else. Yeah. Go meet someone else. Go. Oh, the reason this business is failing is because it doesn't work. Yeah. So you're getting out of it right now. Let's go. Figure out, oh, this gives you an opportunity. Go get a different job. Go find another business. It's hard when people are in those tough situations for them to hear and listen. Yeah. And actually, in a way, it goes back to that untrained and trained thing. Mm. You know, it's like tell someone to do, if they've never done squats before, tell them go do a 20 rep squat day. They'd be like, why are you guys even doing this? Like, Mm -hmm. I would never select to do this ever. It makes no sense. I just had an additional realization about you, which I'm going to incorporate into my whole thing so you know how i told you this before where i kind of nerd out on the way things like work you know like mm. oh this is the way but you kind of like you need like basically the the minimum or appropriate amount of information all that's it only the minimum amount 
enough for you to take action. Like that's what you need. Anything beyond that, you're like boring me kind of a thing. You start yawning and like <laughs> tapping your whatever you tap. And so I'm like, okay, you just need enough information to know what action to take. And it's usually like a, a small action, just take some action, right? That's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh yeah, so this falls in line and given even what you just said there, like you're always looking for, okay, so now what's the move then? Mm-hmm. It's like, cool, that's the what, what happened, that's how it works, cool, so what's the move then? Mm-hmm. Good and bad, so and, and this in this case, um, you know, in regards to like this manual and stuff, it's like when you consider when bad things happen, if you're just that kind of thinker where it's like, okay, what's the move now? You're going to get yourself out mm-hmm. at some point. You're out of that situation. And when you know that you're like, okay, cool, bad things, mm-hmm. not that big of a deal because I'm looking for that move or those, that collection of moves and we're out of here. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're done. We're successful kind of a thing yep. versus like if you're not trained like that, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened. Oh, my gosh. Why, why didn't I do that? You're all nerding out about the way it works or how you feel or all this other stuff mm-hmm. or and then making some in uh, some inaccurate evaluation about your doomed life. What's your move going to be? What's the move, Jeff Glover. Yes. He doesn't care where he gets put in jujitsu. He literally does not care. Like you can, he, you can say, I'll start, he'll be like, start on my back with a rear naked choke on. Yeah. And he's like, oh, then he'll, and you know what? He might tap, but he doesn't really care. Cause he's going to also might good chance of getting out. And if he taps, he just tries again. Yeah. Not that big of a deal. And you watch him rolling. He just doesn't care. And so think of how you ever been to a mat where you're like, oh my gosh, I, there's certain guys there and I've never tapped to him before. I don't want to tap to him. You ever had that happening to you? Yeah. Yeah. Where you're like, oh my God, I don't. I don't, oh, there's Bill, and Bill, like, he has a bad attitude, I don't like him, but he's getting really good, and I don't want to tap to him. <laughs> right? Well, thankfully, I, I've, I felt something similar, but it's more that, like, man, I don't want this beef today. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be on bottom side control of Jocko today. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not in me. That beef is not with me right now. Now, it seems like Jeff Glover just doesn't care about that. Yeah. Because his attitude is like, hey, he just been in these situations before. He knows how to get out. He knows that's not big of a deal. So that's, like a way to go through life. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, some bad stuff might happen. You know, it also allows you to take a little bit more risk. Like, oh, I can invest in this. We'll see what happens. Oh, I've lost a little bit of money, but oh, it's okay. I can recover, right. but we'll work through it. Mm-hmm. Just having that attitude of of understanding how much influence and ownership you have in a scenario mm-hmm. to move forward, <sighs> it's a game changer. But you have to, it's not always easy to see. It's not always easy to see. In fact, it's hard to see. And one of the hardest things to see about is what we're saying is it's on you. Mm-hmm. And when that relationship doesn't work, it's on you to figure it out. When that business doesn't work, it's on you. There's no one going to show up and be like, oh, I've actually decided I want to give your company a bunch of money. That doesn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen. You got to figure out what you're going to do. Shut the doors, reestablish another product. You got to figure it out. You got to make something happen. That's what you need to do. So. That's how you survive, and that's how you win. Um, all right, speaking of survival, when I was at survival, evasion, resistance, and escape school. Seer school. Yep. You then don't give you any food. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You kill a rabbit, you eat the rabbit. Yeah. I also ate like some disgusting bugs. I ate crickets, and they're like, you ever picked up a cricket and it got like uh, barbs, like little tiny, tiny barbs on their legs? Yeah. So it kind of. They feel sticky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ate one of a few of those things, I and it felt sticky going down the hatch. And then I ate, <laughs> I, I ate, lo- I ate like disgusting, You're grasping for his life down yeah, your throat. Yeah, okay. I All ate right. disgusting, um, like larvae 
Yeah, yeah. Like bug. Grubs. Yeah, grubs. Okay, oh, pulled up like a bark. Yeah. And there was larvae in there, and I just ate it. Yeah, hell yeah. And part of it was just me just like just doing it to push through it. Yeah. But boy, I would have really liked to have a monk out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hate. <laughs> I to really wish. Me. I really wish Jockofield.com was around at that time. <laughs> oh, yeah, for to, d- immediately to do a little deliver. delivery to the house. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, that that's impossible. But the uh, I hate to break this to you. You know, hey, you're a hard guy. I understand mm-hmm. that. I've known that for a long time. Crickets are not that bad. Crickets are actually kind of good. Hey, I didn't say it was bad. I'm saying there was barbs on the legs that were kind of <laughs> sticky going <laughs> no, down the hatch. That part, that part was kind of off. I get it. Uh, the larvae, though, like, you know, when you see people eat those big-ass maggots, yeah, like the yeah, big yeah. ones, yeah. like, oh, okay, I can yeah. I can see that's 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 an Mine endeavor were probably sure. the size of like a uh, like a pen cap type scenario, yeah. you know, something like that. Maybe that's a little bit, legit. half of a pen cap. I think right now, though, if, I mean, granted, you probably didn't. Where were Jeez. you in the... In the uh, <laughs> Juicy and oily. Crunch then juice. Were you in the um, woods? Yeah. Okay. So if for some reason, if we're by the beach, you put some salt on it and you're hungry, Brad, no problem. (laughs) No problem. But it'd be like some sashimi kind of. We didn't have any salt out there. Oh, yeah. The no salt. But being hungry, that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. Crickets, no problem. Mm -hmm. No factor. Yeah. In fact, my kids have uh, it wasn't not the ones you find on the street or nothing like Mm -hmm. that. I forget where they they went somewhere recently and they're like, fuck yeah, I'm down for crickets. You ever, you know, you ever heard Dude, of my son used to just eat ants like it was just yeah, like ants are problems. Just crunchy. like no factor, just like crunch, crunch, like picking up ants. He was a little kid too. Yeah, I was kind of like, mm, okay. well, you ever ate an earthworm? Yeah, before yeah, like when we were little kids, it was like, you do it off a dare or mm-hmm. something like that. And it's like, oh, well, this isn't actually that bad. So when you're used to it, even the idea of sea urchin, right? If you go to sushi, mm-hmm. you eat sea urchin. It's like it's kind of the same thing. Granted, it's kind of more salty and delicious, yeah. but. Yeah. Here's the, here's the facts, bro. You don't need to be eating this stuff. Yeah, well. you get yourself some jockofield.com. <laughs> get yourself some bulk. Get but, yourself some greens. Get yourself some hydrate. Get yourself some mm-hmm. joint warfare, super krill. You guys know the deal. We got, listen, you don't have to be eating grubs, larvae, crickets. Don't have to. You don't have to. You can eat something good. And we got it for you. Go to jockofield.com. Uh, you can also go to Wawa. You can go to Vitamin Shop. You can go to GNC, Military Commissaries, AFES, Hannaford, Dash Tours in Maryland, Wakefern, ShopRite. H-E-B, Meyer, Harris Teeter, Lifetime, oh, Lifetime Fitness, Shields, small gyms everywhere. We got you covered. We got you covered. Go and check it out. Get, get yourself some good, clean supplementation so you can survive and win in life. That's what we're doing. Jockofuel.com. Check it out. It's true. Also, Origin USA. Mm-hmm. Hey, if, if, speaking of having us covered... You want to cover yourself with American-made. Head to toe. Head to toe. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Uh, from the ingredients, materials, mm-hmm. seeds, up to the fabric, up to the shirt, pants, products, mm-hmm. all American-made from head to toe. 100% American-made. Go to originusa.com. Get a gi. Get T-shirts, joggers, boots. Do you wear joggers? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. The workout, for okay. sure. Yeah. When, do you wear them when you do squats? Yes. You get too hot. Uh, well, nowadays, yeah, because I work out outside my gym, home gym outside. Shit. So yeah, joggers all day, all day. What about what about that gym project you were doing? Were you weren't you going to do a gym project? Yeah. Is that on hold? Yeah. Okay. It was a big project, like for a bunch of stuff. Gym mm. was part of it, and then uh, it's it's a long story. Okay. Yeah. Mm. You ever you ever worked with like a um what do you call it? like 
an interior designer. Well, I told you about that person that came over to my house that wanted to just to, to want to know if I like to entertain. Yeah. I was like, no, I don't w- want to. Was that come. for like construction? Like, was there construction involved or just like decorative? It, like, it was like furniture, patio, furniture. like outdoor furniture type stuff. Oh, okay. You know? So ours was like a whole thing. Like furniture, yes, but it was like construction, additions, mm-hmm. taking off this and opening this. Mm-hmm. Up, you know, it was like a, a project or whatever. Was it a bit much for you at the time? Like, seemed like a lot. We'll just say, and look, I know everyone has their thing, you know, but that's like a, um, that's like, there can be some creative differences, I think. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot. Okay. And so uh, let's, right. let's say sometimes a lot of us don't see eye to eye on certain things. And okay. you know, sometimes well, you listen, gotta, here's the deal. If you can't be patient, if you got to have an outdoor gym. Yeah. You got, we got joggers, originusa.com. <laughs> Get yourself some joggers. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it back. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there you go. Get some. Oh, yeah. Also, Jocko's store called Jocko Store. If you want to represent discipline equals freedom with a t shirt or a hat or a hoodie, got some new hoodies coming out. Be on the lookout for that. Okay. Don't worry. I'll make an announcement, one of the very few announcements we make, by the way. Oh, about these hoodies. Uh, also, we got socks coming. I'll make mm-hmm. that same uh, announcement, or, or I'll include that on that same announcement. Check. But anyway, if you want to represent with some cool stuff, jockstore.com is where you can get it. Also, we have a thing on there that's called the Shirt Locker. Uh, it's a shirt, new new design of shirt every month. Subscription scenario. Cool designs, a little bit different than the than the straightforward discipline equals freedom. Little, you know, little creativity going, I guess, arguably. Anyway, it's called the Shirt Locker. It's on <laughs> jockstore.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You wanted me to chime in, no. but when I left you hanging. No, you bro. No, I know the, the way I was, the way I felt that you were looking at me is like you're really enjoying where I was going Dude, with it. That's what it felt like. I don't know. Was I wrong? I was, I was wrong. <laughs> Jack, hey, uh, if you guys need some steak, go to coloradocraftbeef.com or primalbeef.com, two awesome companies making the freaking delicious steak. Check them out. Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, JockoUnderground.com, we're about to record one of those. We put those out once a week on average, and we talk about stuff that will help you. We also answer a bunch of questions. JockoUnderground.com, check that out. We own the platform, so no one can can come at us on that one. Also, YouTube, we got a YouTube channel. Psychological Warfare. Flipside Canvas, Dakota Meyer, making cool stuff to hang on the wall. I've written a bunch of books about leadership, and I've written a bunch of kids' books. Check those out wherever you get books. Echelon Front, we have a leadership consultancy. Go to echelonfront.com. We solve problems through leadership. We also have a bunch of live events that you can come to. And we also have online training, online leadership training. Because everything, we're talking about skills today, and Echo's talking about how not too many people are skilled in one thing. I convinced him most people are skilled in at least one thing, but but not much more than that. And one thing that many people don't have skill in is leadership, and yet everyone needs it because everyone is in a leadership position. If you interact with other human beings, you're in a leadership position. So learn how to lead. Learn the skill of leadership. Go to extremeownership.com, take the courses, join the live sessions, and become a better human. Also, if you want to help service members, active and retired, you want to help families, Gold Star families, check out Mark Lee's mom, Mama Lee. She's got an amazing charity organization. If you want to donate or you want to get involved, go to americasmightywarriors.org. Also check out heroesandhorses.org and beyondthebrotherhood.org. That's what we're doing. If you want to connect with us, I'm at Jocko Willink, Echoes at Echo Charles. Just watch out for the algorithm. Just look, if you're at the dentist, what'd you say, the dentist's yes, office? Sir. Dentist, yeah. Or the DMV, just 
instead of connecting with us, just stand there. Just stand there and observe and be part of the world. Because the algorithm's trying to grab you, it's a monster, just look out. Thanks to all the military personnel around the world who are protecting freedom for us in this volatile time. And also thanks to our police, law enforcement, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, dispatchers, correctional officers, Border Patrol, Secret Service, and all other first responders. Thanks for keeping us safe here at home. And to everyone else out there, I got some advice from this book. Don't be a passive, negativistic, hypochondriac type person. Don't be a person that lacks drive, ambition, and aggressiveness. Don't enjoy sympathy from other people. You can have an impact on your world. Surviving and winning depends a great deal on knowing and facing the situation that you are in, but remember that you're a part of that situation. You can make the situation better or worse based on how you manage yourself. It is on you. So take action and go survive and win. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko, out.